A new Toto album doesn't come along too often, so when one does, it's a pretty exciting topic for all of us here at Inside Music Cast. In fact, Inside Music Cast began in 2006, a few months after the release of the band's last album, Falling In Between. So yes, we're as stoked about Toto 14 as Toto fans are from around the world, and we're not going to miss this opportunity to discuss it. The album was released this past Friday in Europe, and is being released this week in the USA and other parts of the world. To gather even more insight on what has shaped up to be arguably one of the band's finest albums, Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome a cat who is the foundation behind Toto 14, CJ Vanston. Hey CJ, thanks for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Nice Saturday. The record just came out in Europe yesterday. Uh, comes out in uh, the States here on Tuesday the 24th, mm-hmm. so pretty excited here. Yep. CJ, you know, your resume in the music business is so deep that we could easily spend, you know, an entire episode just discussing, you know, your work with the likes of people that you've worked with, like Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer, Spinal Tap, you know, your session work, engineering, producing, and all the amazing things you've done that you have on your resume. But we want to spend the time we have with you today discussing your latest project. And that, of course, is Toto 14. And it uh, was released in Europe here recently. It's in the States this week. And, uh, you know, from, from what we understand, the fact that you're so involved with Toto has, has to be a dream come true because going way back to your younger days, growing up in uh, Lance, I think it was Lansing, Michigan. That's exactly right. Yeah, you, you were playing Toto covers. I'm assuming that was in like a cover band. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, it was in a bunch of cover bands, and yeah. uh, uh, I took it very seriously. You know, I uh, always wanted to be a session player since I was a kid, uh-huh. and I knew these guys were the top shelf guys. Yeah, I took their parts very seriously, and I encountered a couple musicians that you know would just come up with their own parts for these songs, and I, I wasn't having it. It's like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> these guys work really hard on this shit, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, really. If but, you can play me exactly his part and then show me your better part, then we got a deal. But if you can't, <laughs> don't don't start. So. Yeah, really. Yeah. So you know, after that, shortly after that, you made your way to Chicago and and uh, you started doing some session work there too. Um, you know, tell us about that uh, the rhythm section that you were part of uh, that was sort of dubbed, I believe, the the Toto of Chicago. We uh, we sort of dug that up there. Yeah, a couple people have called it that. Uh, you know, there was a band called Trillion. Right. I went to Chicago to rec- make a record mm-hmm. with a guy, Ronnie Hernandez, and uh-huh. his band, Sweet Energy. We recorded at Pumpkin Studios, which is where Styx had recorded a bunch of their records. Ah, okay. And at that time, that was uh, one of the first studios I'd ever stepped foot in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just wowed. Like, this is where sticks recorded. Man, this is incredible. <laughs> there was the Rhodes that Dennis DeYoung played Babe on. Yeah, right. Yeah, crazy. So we made a record uh, with Ronnie Hernandez, and the engineer happened to be Gary Loizzo, who produced uh, sticks and engineered all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he came up and he said, hey, kid, you're, you're awesome at this. And I said, at, at what? And he said, making records. And I said, oh, thanks. He said, "How long you been doing this?" I said, "This is this is the first record I've ever made. I've never done this." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, holy shit, man! You got to get to Chicago and and uh, get in the studio." And I uh-huh. said, "Well, that's funny because that's what I want to do." That's and so he called me. I don't know, three months, six months later, and you know, it's one of those messages that you get that you know your life has changed. And it was this band Trillion was having auditions. And I went down there and uh, auditioned for this band, got the gig right away. Yeah. I think I was number 28 keyboard player or something like that. And, <laughs> and uh, got the gig, incredible group, group of musicians. Uh, 
And a matter of fact, I took Patrick Leonard's place. And oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. So there was a couple good keyboard players from that band. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, I wanted to get into doing sessions at the same time. And uh, I think within a year or two, I was kind of the number one guy in Chicago. And we had a rhythm section with uh, bass player Bob Lizick, uh, drummer Jim Hines. And there was a couple different guitar players, but we were the rotating I mean, that, that was the rhythm section everybody had to have. Okay. So they book us for a 9 o'clock session, uh, 9 a.m., and then somebody else had to have us, so they'd book us for 8, and someone else would book us for 7 a.m. <laughs> we were booked all day. We were doing six sessions a day back then. It oh, was uh, crazy, and what a training ground. Uh, Richard Marks's dad, Dick Marks, was the king of all jingle boxers. Yeah, he kind of became my mentor. He kind of gave me uh, one of my first shots, and uh, you know, just learned so much about the studio from great engineers and having to play different styles every day. Uh, you're a jazz guy at, uh, at eight a.m. You're a country guy at nine, mm -hmm. and I'm I had a profit five and coming up with a, a I was really good at programming that thing, so they got me wow. a lot. Of, That's good, and I could read fly shit. I was uh, I was a you know classical pianist when I was. 13 or 14, I was already playing all that stuff. So, uh, so you could read, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I could really read. And that was, a, of course, a prerequisite back then. Right. And so working with the orchestras, all that stuff, uh, a lot of pressure. Uh, when you got a one hour to cut something, uh, one hour hit song, you know? And uh, right. that became a great training ground. And I did that for eight or nine years and uh, just felt I needed to make records. And, uh, that's when Dick Mark said, hey, you ought to go out and work with my son Richard in L.A. And yeah. I came out and did one song with him. He said, ah, this is something that's probably going to go in a movie, but uh, give it a shot. And uh, my demo ended up being the track uh, to the song Right Here Waiting. That was my first song I did in uh, in L.A. Very so, cool. Giant yeah. hit. And next thing you know, Phil Ramone's calling and Desmond Child and, you know, uh, really was a jump start, thanks to Richard. Started to snowball, yeah. Well, when you moved to L.A., I think it was around 88, uh, I think you had an opportunity around, you know, when you went out there to meet uh, Greg Ladanyi, who had produced, you know, four of Toto's albums, including Toto 4, and uh, you, you became pretty good friends with Greg, right? Uh, beyond good friends. We were best friends. Yeah. Uh, we called each other our best friend. Yeah. Uh, definitely for the last, at least the last 10 years of his life, and we were together 20 working yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting. I got that. I met Greg in a funny way, and I don't know if you want to hear the long story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, uh, <laughs> I did a showcase for a guy named Tommy Funderburg, great singer. Yeah. And the sound man came up and said, "Who the hell are you, man? My boss would love you." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm new in town. Uh -huh. said, my God, my boss uh, would love to have you in his band. You ought to come and audition for his tour. Who's your boss? Don Henley." Okay. <laughs> That's cool. So I went and auditioned for Don Henley. And there was maybe 25 guys for that gig. And then next thing you know, it's down to 10. Got called back again. Mm -hmm. Down to, long story short, down to two guys, me and another guy. And uh, they basically called and said, hey, uh, you know, you can have the gig if you shave your beard. Don wants you to shave your beard. <laughs> and I said, you know, I might shave my beard. I might not, but I'm not, I'm not shaving it for anybody. You know, he wants me. He wants me. I was pretty cocky, mm -hmm. and uh, man, Don took a pass. I didn't get the gig, and uh, wow. and I was like, okay, that's harsh. <laughs> and, 
so a couple weeks later, Katie Segal from Married with Children fame, a great singer, yeah, was at a party and was talking to Don Henley and said, my musical director has left me. I need a new musical director, keyboard player. He said, I know a great guy. Uh, the only problem is he has an ugly beard and his name's uh, C.J. Vanstein. <laughs> so <laughs> I got the gig with Katie and she was delightful. And so the first rehearsal, who walks in as the drummer? Russ Kunkel. Oh, cool. Russ. There you Russ. go. Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. This is, this is amazing. So right off the bat, Russ was like, who wrote these charts? And I said, I didn't. Who did these arrangements? I did. Who got these sounds? I did. And he's like, man, man, you are going to be okay in this in this town. That's awesome. Yeah. I got a couple people I want to introduce you to. And the two people he introduced me to were Greg Ladani and Christopher Guest. Wow. Okay. There you go. There so that's go. all from losing the Don Hanley gig. <laughs> Thank you, Don. <laughs> Actually, thank you, my ugly fucking beard. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't seem it. like uh, Katie had any problems with it. No, it looked good, man. The chicks dug it. But he, <laughs> I was jealous. I just I just looked too good, you know. It was competition. <laughs> so, well, we notice you don't have the beard anymore. <laughs> no, I got a little goatee, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, got, so, yeah, that... that uh, and right off from Greg, you know, we, we met and I played him some of the stuff I was working on. And he's like, okay, that's it. You're my man. You're doing all my records. And I did. I did everything he did for the next 20 years. So. Cool. cool. You know, I was talking about LaDonia here a minute ago. but So tell us about how this chance meeting with him and the ex other experiences landed you in the studio laying down keyboard parts with Steve Percaro and David Page for the song The Other Side from Toto's Kingdom of Desire album. Yeah, well, what happened is Greg was, you know, working with Toto, and he, they, you know, the guys got to talk, and you know, what are you working on? And Greg and I were doing a Dolly Parton record, uh -huh. actually a movie, a Straight Talk. We were doing the uh, the songs for that movie, uh -huh. which was an incredible experience. And uh, Greg was telling Jeff all about me and saying, "Man, this cat," and he played uh, Jeff a bunch of the tracks. And I guess Jeff went back to the band and said, "You guys better learn who this guy is," or or get out of the fucking way. That's, that's, <laughs> I don't believe that when I hear that, okay? But that's supposedly what Jeff said. Uh -huh. And uh, I never knew. Actually, it was Paige that told me that. So okay. uh, I always thought that it was through uh, uh, Dave and, and Steve. But it wasn't. It was it was Jeff that, that hyped me up. And wow. so I guess they heard this pedal steel guitar thing I did. Uh, I did it on a Yamaha TX 816. Mm-hmm. And this pedal steel thing that I learned from my jingle days when I could do, I could do harmonica, I could do oboe, I could do everything. So Jeez. they said, "Hey, we're hearing this track on this this song, the other side. Would you think of doing it?" And I'm like playing on a Toto record. You're, you're, <laughs> you're are you kidding, kidding me? <laughs> and these guys are on the record. I figured the only reason I'm playing on it is that everybody's left the band, and this is my thing. I usually come in when the the champagne bottles are in the in the trash can. <laughs> Or beer, you know, so I figure that's what's happening here. No, uh, you know, and by the way, the first year I was here, I did, uh, I worked on Luke's solo album. Mm -hmm. I worked, yeah, song Swear Your Love with that Richard wrote. Yep. Thanks again to Richard, yeah. And uh, but so here I am in the studio with Luke, Paige, and Percaro, and I get up my giant pad sound or whatever, and they're like, No, no, man, we just want that pedal steel sound you get. <laughs> <laughs> they want the steel. <laughs> and I put that down, you know, on each shoulder. I've got uh, Patron Percaro stand there while I played it, played it down, and Luke, and that was that, man. It was this very special day. Very, wow. very special day. 
Very, very cool. Well, you, you know, you brought up Steve and, and uh, you know, you and Steve Lukather have been going at it, you know, collaborating for many, many years. And you just mentioned a couple minutes ago the, you know, the original, uh, his first solo album. But, you know, most of Luke's fans know, they're very familiar with your work with him. You know, can you describe your evolution of the, the relationship with, with you and Luke over the years uh, as it's grown uh, closer? Well, you know, we met uh, uh, doing Richard's record. You know, I they submitted that demo, as I said, of Right Here Waiting. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being the track they used. And not only was it the track, it became the single when it wasn't even supposed to go on the record. You know, guys, the label wanted to put drums and shit on that song. And we fought it. It ended up coming out. It was kind of a revolutionary song with just a little shaker and fretless bass and piano and a pad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Richard uh, asked me to arrange his uh, Repeat Offender record, which was, a, uh, again, a huge seller. I think that sold yeah. seven or eight million copies. Yeah. And so during the making of that record, uh, now here I am at freaking A&M with the cats, you know, yeah. just the cats and Luke <laughs> on the sessions. And we hit it right off. We both have a raunchy sense of humor and uh, uh <laughs> Really hit it off, and I'm a giant fan of his playing. Uh, always have been. Yep. And uh, then Swear Your Love happened, and then we just saw each other through the years on a session here and there. Never really got super close. You know, I don't think he ever heard my songwriting or my mm-hmm. uh, production until, uh, I don't know what year it was. It was probably six years ago, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, he came in and worked on a Harry Shearer record I was doing. Oh, right. Okay. Did the same kind of Russ Conkle thing that's mm-hmm. kind of happened a lot in my career. Who who did this track? I did. Who played drums? <laughs> I did. Who yeah. put the I put the bass part. Who wrote this? I did. Who engineered <laughs> this? I did. Who mixed it? I did. And he's like, Okay, that's it, man. You're fucking working on my fucking solo record. <laughs> that's it. Fuck you. So next thing you know, I was working on All's Well That Ends Well and he was kind of halfway into that record with another uh, producer engineer and they had a kind of a, uh, not kind of, they had a big falling out and, uh, and Luke needed somebody to grab the reins and get the, the buggy back on the tracks. And uh, he picked me to do that. And that was it. You know, yeah. the second he came in the studio, we, we, we had a song going within 20 minutes. Yeah. We bang Luke and I are so fast together. It's ridiculous. That's cool. And then he said, you know, I want, I want to do another record and uh, I want to start the first note with you and I want to end the last note with you. That's and, cool. You know, that's, I don't want you leaving my side. So did that and that was uh, Transition, Yeah. Mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of that record. I'm very proud of both those records. Uh, some of the best work I've ever been involved with. Yeah. And uh, then the band heard those records and yeah. dug my mixing, which... I never hung out my shingle as a mixer. I yeah. never uh, had any ambition to be a mixer, but I learned from <laughs> Greg Ladani, you know. Right, from the best. Yeah. From Greg. Jeez. And I also learned from Phil Ramone and, and Humberto Gatica and uh, uh, Ed Cherney, Al Schmidt. These are the guys I worked with. <laughs> I mean, the, every day, you know, doing all the session work. When you were doing two sessions a day, mm-hmm. Working with the best cats, and I was always watching. I was always watching what they were doing with the EQ, how they play shit, you know. So now the band asked me to come and uh, record, not only mix, but record their DVD. 
Yeah. I said, you do that, right? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's, uh, that is, it's like my back of my hand. Of course, I'd never done it before. I <laughs> ever even tried that. Yeah. How can so, you say no, though? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just all the same shit. You get rid of the shit that sounds bad. Turn up the stuff that sounds good. That's yep. what Lenani taught me. So I yeah. uh, flew over to uh, Switzerland and went on tour with them and recorded the thing in Poland. Ended up mixing that DVD. And it, uh, uh, again, very proud of that. Uh, I would have never guessed I could have made that thing sound that good. I I mean, they're amazing on that DVD. So, so you, didn't, you didn't just mix that album. You actually were involved in the recording, in the recording. of the yeah. live shows as well? Oh, yeah. I was in the truck. and Cool. You know, uh, that, that I didn't I, know. That's yeah, cool. supervising the whole recording. I was there. Cool. Yep. yep. And uh, yeah, the 35th anniversary album just sounds fantastic. It everybody really does. Says that. Everybody says that, and yeah. I think so too. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but that thing sounds like a record. It it does. <laughs> it sounds amazing. <laughs> Matter of fact, the comments were like, "Nobody's going to believe we played this. It sounds too good." Yeah. Right. Sure, and that <laughs> happens said, all the time. Yeah. Who fucking cares if people say that? Yeah. You know anybody. Uh, that doesn't think you guys can play that live doesn't deserve to be one of your fans as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. You don't know enough about this band if you don't think they can pull that off live. I don't give a shit about the perception. Uh, it, it's about the potential of this band, and that's what it's always been. Mm -hmm. Explain to me how the band brought you in to not only produce the new album, Toto 14, but but record, mix, and lay down you know, tracks with the band. And, you know, being Well, I'm just going to say, it's just a funny story. You know, Steve starts saying, hey, I think we're going to make it, uh, one more record, man. And I'm like, that's great. You guys should do it. And mm -hmm. and he told me that Steve was coming back, Steve yeah. Percaro, and I'm a giant, huge <laughs> Steve Percaro fan. Oh, I yeah. must mention that, you know, growing up, uh, to me, you got David Page on one side of the stage, who's the jazz blowing, <laughs> you know, amazing blues, New Orleans, yeah. Barrel House, can do all that shit, right, right. composer, all that amazing stuff. And then on the other side of the stage, you got the mad scientist with the modular sense and the sounds and the, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, the Rosanna solo, all that stuff. And I was such huge fans of both those guys that I always yeah. wanted to be right down the middle. <laughs> And that's yeah. really where I ended up. I kind of got a little bit of each of that. Yeah. And so us working together is just like, you know, pigs and shit. It's crazy. <laughs> when, when it's just me and Dave and Steve in the room, that's really something else. It's, yeah. That, yeah. So anyway, uh, I heard Steve was coming back to the band and really excited that Dave and Steve and, and Luke and Joe were going to be the core of this band. And Luke said, man, you ought to come in and work on that thing. And I'm like, well, okay, whatever you need me for, you know, that'd be, that'd be great. So they called a meeting here in my studio, and I walked in, and it's it was, it was Luke and Percaro and uh, Paige and Joe. Yep. And they said we want you to work on the record. And I said, well, that's cool, guys, but you know I got a schedule to keep and and stuff. You're gonna need to tell me exactly what you want me to do on the record. Yeah. And he stands up and puts his hands on either side of my cheeks and he holds my face and he goes, "We want you to do fucking everything." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, point taken. Yeah. When do we start? And I, you know, I had a bunch of shit on my schedule. I just cancel it. Yeah. You know, but I have a foot in film and TV, as you know, with Chris. Yeah, right, right. And I had some stuff ahead that I was really looking forward to doing. And I just said, no, no, no. I would have cut my toes off when I was 20 to do this gig. Yeah. This is going to be my next year here. 
Jeez. And however long it takes, we're going to do this record, and that's what we're going to do. And that's what we did. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you, you basically answer the question I was going to ask because, you know, you were, you wore so many hats on this, on this project. And yeah. I just, and I, w- what I was going to ask you originally is, were you just originally brought in to be the producer, you know, to hold the reins where, but it sounds like, you know, what you just described, you know, you were grabbed by the cheeks and told to do everything. Well, the one thing I wasn't specifically asked that, that I never thought I'd have to do that I ended up, no one told me I was going to be Switzerland and Dr. Phil mixed together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was the uh, the other thing I had to do was right. uh, be the objective. Uh, Keep the peace. Iceberg in the middle of the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, and I saw what makes this band great is these cats are all out on their own islands in different, they're not all the same. They don't have the exact same musical taste. We all listen to the same shit. We're all about yeah. the same age. Right. All came up. We listened to the. We idolized. Yes, close to the edge. Yep. ELP, Weather Report. We love Zeppelin. We love Hendrix. You know all that stuff. The Beatles, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> we have the same influences, but everyone has a different take about what Toto is. Yeah. Right. That's what makes them great. Is that uh, uh, you know difference of opinion? But I was there to say, hey, I hear what Luke's saying, but Paige's got a great idea. Blah 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 blah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one thing I I wasn't really ready for, and uh-huh. uh, I learned quick. You know. Yeah. Well, that's interesting how you said that. You know, all of you guys are pretty much hatched from the same DNA. But you know, uh, we had Luke on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, to discuss the album. And uh, when we asked the question about day one and what um, and what was really brought to the table f- from the band members and how you know a direction was established when you when you first started out how do you recall this initial day one gathering i mean you just told us that it was in the room but but what did you guys talk about about the the concepts how far did you go well i think we we mentioned some things you know uh i think Paige said something like this is our sergeant peppers man we're not phoning this in mm-hmm. yeah you know, this is we're we're going for this and i said good cuz i don't want to be around to make that that phoned in record with, right. with the, I idolize. I like you guys too much, you know? Yeah. So if everybody's ready to really step it up and, you know, lay their dicks on the line. Let's go for it, man. Yeah. And uh, everybody to a man was just like, yeah, let, let's go. For it. Cause I don't know if you know the history, but this was really a contractual obligation. It was right. Yeah. It would have been real easy to pull a Miles Davis and send a bunch of tracks back from the eighties and yeah. just say, fuck you. Here you go. Right. And, no, no. The, the, these guys have got a lot to, lot to prove to the world. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't think they ever got the respect. I mean, they got tons of respect, but they deserve even more. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's never been a group of guys like this in a band, and there never will be again. No, you're right about you're that. Definitely right. Yeah. Matter yeah. of fact, the year they were nominated, the year they won six Grammys. These cats played on records that were nominated for 59. That's right. Yeah. Name another group of musicians like that in history, let alone they're in the same fucking band. Yeah, and the following year, the year after that is the year that, you know, they were they were all over Michael Jackson's Thriller, you know, and and there were there were eight Grammys right there alone that they were a part of. But see, this is the thing, man. I'm always saying this. Uh, I'm always sticking up for big production. People love big production. Mm-hmm. People Love big production. They do. They, Dark Side of the Moon, Sgt. Pepper's, Fleetwood Mac Rumors, Thriller, Close to the Edge, all that. People love it. Yeah. 
You know who hates big production? The guys that have to pay for it. <laughs> the only ones. That's yeah. who bad mouths it. And the critics. The critics. The critics right. Love the guy with the out of tune guitar and the mohawk. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just bullshit. So it is. <laughs> they, uh, we're going to make a giant record here, and we're not going to pull pull any punches. So that's what went down. Yeah. I think Joe showed up with a track. It might have been Fortune Favors, the pre- Prepared or Burn. Mm-hmm. I think it was Fortune, and that's what we started with. And it was a great sounding track that he brought in. Joe's Joe's really great keyboard player, programmer, mm-hmm. engineer himself. So. Well, yeah. Well, you know, from what we understand, your, your, one of your ideas for the band was to bring them back to the proverbial garage where, you know, you positioned everyone in a, from what, I from what I've read, you, you brought everybody in and put everybody in a circle in a room and everyone fed off of each other. I mean, what did the band perceive of this? Were they receptive to it? Oh, well, it wasn't even really talked about. I never said, hey, guys, I'm going to set you up in right. a circle. We're gonna, I just did it. I yeah. just, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a really cool control room that everybody loves it's a it's a freaking spinal tap museum you know joe <laughs> cocker member of bailey i mean there's just shit everywhere here yeah. and it's a really comfortable room but it's a pro control room it's a <clears throat> completely designed room it's not a drywall room like most yeah. cats are putting up today and calling them studios it's mm-hmm. it's really an epidemic of really bad sounding control rooms so it's a great sounding room uh, i've got a vocal booth with a big glass you know out there and I just closed that off. I'm, we're not using that booth. I put Luke's cabinet out there. But uh, I pulled the table out of the middle of the studio. I put the mic stand there. Yeah. And I put a bar stool there. And whoever's on stage performing is sitting there. And I put in five headphone stations around the room. And I just they said, uh, yeah, let's do a vocal. I said, hey, we're doing it right here. And Joe was like, what? I said, yeah, let's do it right in the middle of the room. And he's like, fucking A, man, great. <laughs> well, you know, everybody was into it and when luke does a guitar part he's sitting right here and everybody's sitting around so everybody can talk there's no me having to hold the talk back button and luke's out stuck in a room all by himself uh you know these guys grew up uh and uh joe percaro built a, a a room you know for them when they were 15 years old yeah. that they rehearsed in yeah and i knew that history and I knew it well because that's how I came up, you know. I had that whole garage scene going. And I thought, man, let's put the cats back in the room together again. And let, let's keep it really intimate. And everybody can talk. And, you know, that's going to also breed some uh, contention. And let's have at it, man. I'm not afraid of it. Let's do it. Yeah. All the bass parts. Everybody that came in to play, center the fucking room. You're not going anywhere. You're not going. Where's the booth? No, you're sitting in the middle of the room. And, (laughs) you know, that's a pressure situation for a lot of cats. But if you handle that, you shouldn't be playing on a total record. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So everybody that came in was kind of like, whoa, except for Lenny. We had to set him up out out in the room. Right. His big cushion thing. But uh, he makes a lot of noise. Yeah. <laughs> so here you're sitting with the guys. You're 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 beginning the process of, you know, recording with these the best cats of you know in the world, the best musicians, mm-hmm. and and now you're in the control of everything. Now now you're the you're sort of like the the ringleader of everything. And uh, were there any any obstacles as you went you know into the production of this whole thing? Did anybody ever question? Wow, well let's do this or whatever. Or they just they just basically threw all the trust on your lap, didn't they? Oh, they sure did. No, that was the, the obstacle was being trusted with this band. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a huge weight on your shoulders. Yeah. And then on top of it, okay, 
I, I don't have a second engineer here. Right. I, I don't use one. I don't want the extra body in the room. I don't want somebody that says some something fucking stupid while somebody's trying to come up with a part. I've just... I just don't want it. I don't yeah. want another personality in the room, another smelly guy in the room. Just I can handle it. And I'm faster than all of them anyway. So so I'm engineering everything. I'm running, you know, I'm setting up the mics. I'm, uh, uh, you know, the data backup at the end of every day. Everybody leaves. Well, I got to do Jeez. all the backups, you know. Wow. Yeah. So having the four copies of the hard drives and driving home, you know, I'm holding the total record in my hand driving yeah. home. Uh, that kind of pressure um, definitely wore on me, you know. Yeah, took a lot out of me making this. It really, really did. Yeah, but but even even at that, did you ever just stop and, and pinch yourself? Oh, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, I mean, there was moments, you know, where it was, uh, it was where I was really tired, and people are kind of getting each other's face about, oh, I don't know about this song or this song, whatever, and I'm like, oh God, I can't wait to get out of here. Then I'd be driving home going. Vanston, mm-hmm. you're working on a total record. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't forget what you're doing right now. It's it's when it got normal that was the most strange. Yeah. Interesting. And I had to go. Okay, dude, keep. You gotta stay focused. Mm-hmm. This is a fucking total record. Maybe the last total record. Yeah. Okay. So you gotta give everything, and I did. I gave everything. Everything I know how to give. So. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier the whole idea of, of not only did you wear all these hats, but you were also Switzerland and Dr. Phil. And, you know, during this 10-month period of production, did the, you know, generally did the boys behave themselves? I mean, I'm sure you had to res- referee some creative disputes. Uh, did the no, process- they didn't behave themselves at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's honestly uh, what I wanted to facilitate. I yeah. want them to be themselves and yeah. be able to speak out uh, with or against each other. And I think if I wouldn't have been there, they would have had to take on that role themselves, the self-policing thing. I took that away from them so they could really function as a creative process together. You know, I'm reading a book on on the Apollo project right now. Um, it's actually third book I've read on the Apollo moon, the moonshot project. Yeah. And man, the contention that went on in, in those rooms was intense. Uh, you don't do a moonshot and, and everybody's all happy and slapping each other in the back all the time. And that's what we did here was, was a musical moonshot, man. So yeah. Yeah. no, they didn't behave themselves. They didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Hey CJ, this, this past week we were all, you know, we all learned about the passing of Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which has brought Toto fans from, gee whiz, as, you, as we know online, from all over the world, every part of the world with, you know, together and sharing memories and, and tributes and that just have gone on all week, literally, especially even on Inside Musicast. You know, had, had Mike been healthy, you know, we would have wanted nothing more than to be in a studio and making music with his brothers. I know that that's what he would have wanted to do. In regards to the, the bass parts on the album, um, you know, we, we're really pleased that, that David Hungate was, was back to record a few of the tracks. But tell us uh, about the other bassists who, who were involved, Tal and Tim. And Lee Sklar. Yeah, yeah. And Lee Sklar, too. Yeah. Got to start with Father Sklar. Lee and I go way back. And, uh, you know, he's toured with a band. Right. Uh, that was just amazing when he came in. He, 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 yeah. His performance in the studio was just stunning. Mm-hmm. His personality and his acerbic wit. The whole thing is was great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but man, the way he blew through that track, I've been playing with Lee 25 years now yeah. in sessions. And it raised my eyebrows. I mean, I was like, wow, this guy came loaded for bear today. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was amazing. Tal is a, just a beautiful player. And uh, she put on some uh, just beautiful stuff. She's a fierce player, too. Yeah. You know, she's got both yeah. sides to her. And uh, uh, Tim was actually the first outside bass player to play on that on the record. Hmm. And uh, running out of time. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen Tim or met him, yeah. but I think he's six foot six, seven. Yeah. He's a big boy. He's a giant man. Well, that's what his bass sounds like. Yeah. He's uh, it's big boy bass. There's no question about it. Festive, <laughs> and that's why it was so great for running out of time. He really set the tone for everybody. But man, and then uh, Hungus came in, and I had never met Dave. Uh, I'm a big fan of his fearless Facebook posts. You know, he lives in a red state. Oh, he does. He doesn't give a shit, and I really hail that about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, we've been in touch on Facebook for a couple of years, but I've never met him. So he walks in the room, and it's like long-lost brother, <laughs> because I know every note he's played with the band. Right, right. And we know each other from Facebook. Well, he sat down, and I wanted to make it really easy for Dave, and I had everything ready for him, and, you know, the music stand with the light and the... You know, the bar stool with the, the, the right mic pre, everything ready to go. And we blasted through. That was a very special day. And wow. I think I realized it had been 32 years since they had worked together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was a very special day. Mm -hmm. Every, and that's the other thing, being in this room and everybody's over his shoulder, just banging him on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. While, he, while he's putting the takedown. <laughs> oh, man, come on. You know, that kind of shit. Not isolated in a room, uh, you know, 50 feet away. That's fantastic. He was super ad adrenalized in here. And uh, he's an amazing musician. You know, the guy plays a bunch bunch of instruments. He's an arranger. Uh, I think uh, trumpet? Trombone. Yeah. He he's plays a trombone, trombone player. Yeah. The guy's amazing. Yeah. Stunning musician. So yeah. then we have a bunch of tracks left. Uh, who do we dole these out to? Steve Luke there, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. He played bass on a on Great Expectations, I believe. Ripped it up. Yeah. Ripped it, ripped it apart. Hell mm. yeah. Jeez. Mm. He only plays with a pick, and that's the sound we were looking for. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's too cool. You know, speaking of Luke, he, you know, um, and on this topic of Mike, he mentioned recently that he played the new album for Mike. You know, before he passed, and uh, and Mike loved it. He even admitted that it was you know one of the band's best projects and. And, you know, during the lengthy process of creating Toto 14, do you happen to know if the band ever confided in Mike in an attempt to involve him in some way? No, I don't know. Okay. I really tried to stay out of that. I mean, yeah. I knew Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, we did sessions together. Uh, he was a huge Christopher Guest fan. Every yeah. time he saw me, he'd be like, oh, man, tell me another story about waiting for Guffman, you know? And <laughs> And then, and I gave him a CD that we made a limited edition CD of that movie. I think we made 50 copies and I gave him one of them and he never forgot that. He always said, thank you when I saw him. And, but I was never close enough to Mike to visit him in his later days. I, uh, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. And I, at the same point, I didn't want to bring that up in the studio during the making of the record. I chose not to, sure, yeah. other than if somebody brought it up, I would talk about it. So, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know what the answer to that yeah. is. I do know that Luke played in some tracks and he loved it. Uh, I would always tell Luke to tell him I said hi and yeah. and, and let him know how much he's in the room every day here. Mm-hmm. Mike was in the room during this record so much. Obviously, Jeff, too. Yeah. You yeah. know, mostly like, Jeff would fucking hate that part. <laughs> <laughs> Mike would love that part. <laughs> well, speaking of drums, you know, Keith Carlock's drums were, you know, you guys cut them at the in, in, at Capitol. And uh, was that idea just to get it out into a bigger room? Yeah, I mean, look, I... It, Everybody says, I engineered the record and I mixed it. Yeah, uh, I can spit out a good mix from time to time. I know how to record vocals and guitars and stuff, but I do not profess to know how to record drums. Okay. I'm, I'm not a real engineer like that. So uh, we brought in Chaba to, to record, mm-hmm. to do the real deal on Keith and get that nice room sound that we could use and... Uh, let me sit back and kind of evaluate the situation instead of wrestling, uh, wrangling. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, mic phases and all that shit and a bad cable. It's just too much for me to handle. That's beyond yeah. my capability. It's so technical, technical stuff. Yeah, and plus the room was big enough. Everyone could hang in the control room, and uh, there's a nice, uh, it's a nice injection of adrenaline whenever you pull up to cap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You give the name, and the gate starts opening. The electric gate. That's that's a goosebump moment. I don't care how many years we've all been recording there. That's just that's right. a <laughs> yeah. goosebump moment. So you get charged up going to Capitol. That's cool. And uh, and Keith, you know, my God, the hump he's got. He's got a bit of that Jeff hump. Yeah. Uh, he's a deep cat. He's fabulous. I've, we've seen him play with Steely many times, and he's he's just he's fun to watch. You know, he's you know way he, the way he whips that you know is his right stick up in the air. I know, right? <laughs> it's aggressive yeah, player. I hate watching him actually. <laughs> Do you really? Does, Do it, make, does you? it make you nervous? Well, it's just so funny. He doesn't he doesn't look like he sounds to me. Yeah, you're, yeah. You mean you mean his style, the way he plays. He knows exactly what. I'm In other talking. words, his motions don't his motions don't match the sound, right? <laughs> it's just funny. He just has a funny way of moving that. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, every drummer's got their thing. John Robinson, I've never uh, watching yeah. him. Just just can't believe that's he sounds so smooth, and to me, he looks completely different. So every you know every drummer's got their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just from a couple of you know simple engineering questions, and I'm just curious, uh, how is this how is this album cut? Did you track it to Pro Tools, or do you have other, some other recording platform of choice? No, I'm a Logic through and through. Logic, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I may I swear by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a musician's tool. It's not an engineer's tool. Mm-hmm. That being said, it that doesn't mean an engineer can't use it. Yeah. It's a great tool for mixing. Uh, it's funny. There's a misconception about Logic. Now, number one, uh, that it's difficult to use. It's not difficult at all. Uh, the newer versions are just, it couldn't be easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, people always say, well, what are you mixing in? Well, I'm mixing in Logic. You're mixing in Logic. What? Anybody that uses Logic just laughs at that. It's it's a fabulous mixing uh, platform. Uh-huh. Pro Tools, uh, to me, is a lot like Windows was. Everybody just happened to use it, and it's a fabulous tool. It works great for engineers. Uh, I think just happen to think it's a really shitty musician's tool. I, it's just awful for MIDI. And the yeah. port, uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the company. Uh, their tech support, the way they charge for upgrades. Yeah, I think they remind me of New England Digital and the Sinclair. Overpriced. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, and they're really going to have a struggle now because they're competing against. Uh, Logic is two hundred dollars. Right. Uh, if Logic was twenty thousand, I would pay 
20000 for it. Yeah. And it happens to be $200. And you don't need all their expensive boxes anymore. You know, you right. just go, yeah, I'm using a, a Mark of the Unicorn 2408. Is my, it's my box. I think that's a $1,200 box. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you used for your DA. It's fabulous. Yeah. It's fabulous. Bulletproof. Yeah. And I've got an Apogee converter and an Apogee clock. Yep. And for, you know, what, five grand? You're all set. I'll take a run at any $60,000 Pro Tools <laughs> And but I, you know, I think that's another thing about Pro Tools. You get a guy that puts sixty grand into a rig. You ask him how he likes it. He's got to say yes. Yeah. He's not going to go. Oh, I hate this thing. Yeah. So uh, you know, it, there's a changing of the guard go, going on. So many more musicians are switching over, mm -hmm. uh, especially to things like, uh, 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 oh, geez, Ableton Live. Yeah. You know, that's a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Mind-bendingly powerful. But anyway, Logic. I love it, and I should mention that's what uh, Paige has at his studio. That's all Steve Percaro uses, and, that, and that's all I need to know if that's what Steve Percaro uses. <laughs> uh, and that's what Joseph Williams uses. So we all use Logic. So it really made things simple for transferring files back and forth. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. <laughs> well, I, so I really have no opinion on that. I hear what you're saying. I'm a Pro Tools guy, and I have been for 18 years, but it's also it's also my workflow. You know, it's it's difficult to. Well, I mean, you're locked in. I I got, yeah, I'm locked in. I've been using it for such a long time. But, of course, they provided a lot of the uh, audio engine, you know, prior to, you know, uh, computers themselves being, you know, powerful enough to, to handle just a software-based program. No, there was a time when that made sense. Yeah. When it makes sense to have a $10,000 card inside of a $2,500 computer. Right, right. But now the $2,500 computer is eight times faster than the $10,000 card Absolutely. you put in. Yeah. It means nothing. It's yep. It's really a ripoff to me, mm -hmm. and uh, the software is great, you know, but all that hardware crap. Six hundred dollars to get uh, OMF so I can transfer files. Yeah, please, please. One more, one more quick question. How, how, just in terms of, uh, you know, for for being future proof, did you did you cut this album at a, a higher sampling rate? And uh, what, what what did you record in? Was it like one ninety two, thirty two, or, or how? Did, where did you start with that? Uh, we cut at ninety six. Uh huh. 96.24. Okay. And I pre-dithered the mixes before we went to mastering. Okay. To 44.1. Okay. Because Logic is particularly good at that, and I did it in a group basis, because uh, as opposed to doing the entire mix that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, we went through a lot of talk about this, and I just basically said, if anybody can really tell me which mix is which, I'll be glad to go with it. And... Uh, this shit sounded great, man. <laughs> so future-proof, you know, I mean, just get, just to get to that term, future-proof, uh -huh. you know, you listen, you put on stuff that was recorded 50 years ago. It still yeah. sounds great. So this stuff sounds great now. It's going to sound great 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. It's not like all of a sudden you can listen back to this and go, oh, God, how did they listen to that? Well, the, I guess what I meant, not not the actual sonic quality, but but just the uh, idea of if another format comes along, you know, you're set. You've you know something. If ever anything is developed that's you know provides a higher resolution, a high resolution CD, or you know if you're going to put it to DVD audio, that's kind of what I meant in terms of future proof. Well, yeah, I, I get that, uh, but my future proof is I want to see 32 bit. Right. I want to see more bits. That, right, right. I, that I agree with. Yeah. The higher sample rate thing to me is really, uh, people talk a lot about it. But when I sit them down, uh, it's really a, a, a dice toss. And it's really, and you know who yeah. taught that? Greg Ladani. Mm -hmm. We yeah. did Joe Cocker's record at 88.2. Okay. 
And he said, I'll never do this again. And he went back to 44.1. Interesting. It was just too much load on the system. These plans didn't work. Bandwidth, every time, and and you think about posting stems for people. Right. Double the size of those. Yeah. Well, it doesn't sound twice as good. And -hmm. it doesn't sound 5% better to Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just my feeling on it. And I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people that would dispute me on that. And, uh. They're welcome to go cut their record however they want. It's just practical. Mm-hmm. It's just how I did it, how the band did it. And uh, you show me a group of guys with better ears than these guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's for so sure. They're all happy. I'm happy. That's what we do. That's what counts. Yep. Hey, well, let's talk about a few tracks in the album and, and share with us any interesting stories about the development of the track, the recording session, or, or what you what you brought to the table. And the first one I'm going to throw out is uh, the track Running Out of Time. Ah, you know, I well, first thing that comes to mind on that track is the vocal sound. Right. Yes. I want to fuck up Joe's vocal on that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I just got some. Uh, I use a plugin called Easy Mix. Uh-huh. That I I will admit I use. Uh, it is so cool because it's a blue sky plugin. Basically, a bunch of guys have developed packages for Easy Mix, and you type in. You can type in lead vocal. And here's 75 patches for lead vocal. Wow. And wow. you can just bang, 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 bang. And you'll find some, especially when you're looking for something left field or way out there. It's great for finding stuff that you would never do yourself. It's almost a Brian Eno kind of chance, mm-hmm. you know, throwing the lyrics on the floor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I really like that, as opposed to if I grab my favorite compressor and my favorite EQ, and then I put on my favorite delay and my favorite, you know, I'm I'm going down a proven path. Uh-huh. This is more of a crapshoot. So uh, I went through and I found a patch on Easy Mix that just it was uh, at an amp simulator and it monoed it up, just really awful mono sound, and it just it set the tone for the track to me. That's cool. Vocal sound really set the tone for the track because that's a freight train of a chugging track. Mm-hmm. So it made Joe really aggressive sounding. So and it was a great great track to start the album off with. I mean, oh, it was just yeah. instant energy. Yep. What about uh, another track that I love because I'm an old school Toto cat. You know, I've been listening to him since I was a you know kid. What you're gonna say? What's that? You're gonna say Chinatown? I am gonna say of Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you just nailed it. Look, this was uh, we have the original demo for that. Yeah with Jeff playing on it. And we mm-hmm. put those tracks up and listened to it. And we just said, we got to do this, man. We got to mm-hmm. do this. Because from the beginning, I kept saying, we got to have our Georgie Porgy on this, man. Yeah. You know, we got to have that. If we don't do one of those tracks, we uh, that that Philly funk or whatever you want to call that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that sound, you know, and that was the track. So uh, that was just signature. And boy, you know, I, I know how to do that. I know their records and I, I just and by the way, that's the first mix we finished. Um, okay, that mix is really just a rough, rough mix. We ended up with one day, and sent it to everybody. And they said that this is this is done. And I said I agree. It's I wouldn't know what to change on this. <laughs> right. It just came out great. So now Hungate was on bass on that one too, right? Yeah. No, there's a, those tenth double stops. Yeah, he, he does so well on it. Yeah. You know, the, another another track. Let's go to the next track. It's. Uh, of course, it's a Steve Procaro track. Of course, he contributed a couple amazing ballads. It's called The Little Ones. Talk to us about that. Little Things. Little, little things. things. Yes, Little Things. Well, uh, you know, it, the, the Steve Procaro minimalism thing is is so beautiful. The way he uses space, oh, no. I've always been a fan of. And uh, uh, it's an intimate song. The lyrics intimate. His vocals intimate. 
and it really, uh, I mean, you got some of this stuff that's like the top of the mountain wide galaxy shit going on. And Steve brought this song into this little room, you know, it was just beautiful space that really complemented the, the rest of the record. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just dug it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the next track is uh, Great Expectations. Well, it's it's funny. We worked on that, and somebody, I don't know who said it, they said, well, where do you think this ought to go on the record? And I just turned around, like, silent, and just sat there. <laughs> like, you're kidding. Where should this go on the record? There's only one fucking place this can go on the record, because what the fuck do you do after Great Expectations? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, this is the epic... You know, we talked about opening with it for a while. Yeah. That would have been the only other place that song would have gone. But, you know, we pulled out all our stops and shamelessly quoted all the people we love on it. There's there's a lot of yes on that song. There's some Jethro Tull. Yeah. Yeah. We're not trying to hide the fact that we you know, we put in sounds from the people we love, and, and those are our influences, man. Yeah. Uh, it's all there. That song is that big, wide, giant production and virtuoso playing and uh yeah deep meaning you know and uh i don't think i have a more favorite track on the record well i agree and you know in my opinion this track is is a masterpiece it's, it might be one of the best songs you know they've ever done and it you know it's it's like you said it's complex it envelops so much of what toto is capable of you know musically and creatively and it's uh you know, it's like you said, like, yes, and Joe Tall, it's a progressive track with many layers, many sections. You know, it features three singers. And it, explain to me how such an intricate track like this came together. That had to be, that had to be like some patchwork in a sense because everybody was involved. Oh, God, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, Paige sent over this, this little demo they did. And he said, hey, uh, you know, can you paste section H over to section P and then copy Q back to C? And then take B and put that where N was. <laughs> you know, that's how many sections there were to this uh, song. Right? Wow. We tried to put together to make sense. Uh. And the connective tissue in between these, so it didn't sound like a, you know, uh, three-headed monster. Right, right. And uh, th- we, we found the right path to it. The last thing we did was that organ breakdown. Right. Breaks down to just, just page of a little pipe organ thing, mm-hmm. you know. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just just a huge track to me. Yeah. Huh? To me, that was a close to the edge kind of moment, you know. When you <laughs> Absolutely, get to, that, get to that pipe organ. Yeah. Well, you know, anything that even harkens to close to the edge—that's the uh, Stravinsky and Debussy put together. <laughs> you know, and yeah, that's really. one of the most astounding pieces of art any of us have ever heard. Yeah, true. And we're both, uh, all of us, profoundly affected by that record. So. Mm-hmm. Out of close to the edge on that song. Yeah, you know when we last uh, spoke with Luke, uh, we spoke about uh, the two tracks, "Holy War" and "21st Century Blues," which you wrote with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when we spoke to him, you know we noted that these two tracks sounded, you know, as they were cut from the same type of cloth as uh, his transition album, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of similarly, did you approach these two tracks in any different way that uh, that you did on the transition, or is it a process of just developing songs with Luke that are sort of similar? I just think we have the really uh, similar taste in a mm-hmm. lot of stuff, and we just work so well together. It's it's crazy how fast Luke and I are. Uh, we don't sit and labor over stuff at all. Yeah. Uh, we did labor over the lyrics to Holy War. That, I have to say, was one of the few times I felt stuck. Mm-hmm. 
Really? And, uh, yeah, I came in with a couple ideas I thought were good, and they were they were awful. They sucked. And that's when Joe came in and saved the day. He really? turned that song into a epic holy war. Twenty uh, first century blues uh, that just fell fell off our fingers there. You know? Yeah, it was a natural feeling. I, uh, like the solo section of twenty first century blues. I came up with those chords. That's been a favorite thing of mine. Uh, with Luke and I is to feed him some really cool chords where he can put those inside notes in, not just the stock playing over the verse. Because the verse is really two chords. Yeah. True. Yeah. It's just a blues two chords. And so when his solo comes in, it goes to that, you know, weather report shit. I don't know if you remember Darkness in My World. I think that was. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Listen to the bridge on that. That's, that's, that's like heavy weather, man. That's. Yeah. That's a crazy bridge I came up with for that. And <laughs> matter of fact, when I came up with that, I thought he's either uh, he's either going to fire me or kiss me. I don't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> kissed me. Uh, so he he got kissed, huh? I know. <laughs> and I, he kissed me, and I I have it on film. As a matter of fact, <laughs> no, no, no. But, no. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's just Luke and our and our sensibilities on those two songs. Yeah. Well, we mentioned to Luke the, the same thing, but I, I personally believe that having Steve Percaro's influence and voice on this record makes makes it the truest Toto album since the seventh one. I mean, his his two tracks, the little things that we talked about a moment ago, and Bend, which is the Japanese bonus track, they they lend sa- a sound and style that have been missing from Toto's music for you know a couple of decades. And um, you know, I was just thinking about the track Bend, and it's just a shame that it's only going to be on the Japanese release. I mean, you know, I woke up thinking about that today. Yeah. I woke up thinking about Bend for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it was from the service yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you know, after this whole extravaganza went on making this record, everybody meeting here, doing this, sending the stems, overdub this, we're bringing in them to sing, Michael McDonald, oh, Tom Scott. Da, 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 da. After it's all over, the dust is settling, everybody's beat up. And here comes Steve with Ben, and mm. it's the, it's the freaking olive branch, yeah, peaceful soliloquy that just perfectly follows Great Expectations. I don't know what else could follow that song than Ben. Yeah, and, uh, you listen to those lyrics, and he just he just sums it up, man. Yeah, he's a beautiful cat, and uh, it's funny because he's he's often the voice of reason on, yeah. on and you can hear it in that song. Mm-hmm. You know, there are 12 tracks on the album, assuming, you know, you include Bend, but uh, did the band develop any additional material that didn't make the cut? You know, I don't really think so. There were st- there were things bantered about and a couple of groups started, but it never got farther than that. It wasn't like somebody came in with a finished song and we said, nah, that's not going on. Yeah. It was really potent. And, uh, you know, a lot of the great records, uh, a lot of Quincy Jones stuff, Mm-hmm. They went through 75, 125 songs to get those 12. And I get that. I think that's a really valid way to work. Yeah. I didn't feel the need to do that on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just felt like everything really was so potent and everybody was in. We caught everybody in the kind of the same headspace for a couple months here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that stuff that happened precluded having to go back in the past. Oh, here's a song I wrote back. No, no, no except for Chinatown, it just fell into place. Hey, CJ, you know, I, I want to talk about uh, Joseph Williams' role on this album. It, it's so prominent, and not only vocally, but 
He has uh, several writing credits. I mean, he really took ownership of this record, and he sounded so good. Yeah, he did. I mean, we, I mean, we, we read all of the posts, everything, and when they comment on Joseph Williams' vocals, everyone is just like just amazed that he's just so pure. He's he 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 plays with his voice. I mean, it's 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 a classic Joe Williams. What what can you say about uh, Joseph? He's a freak, man. Joe is is so mega talented. In so many ways. I mean, Joe did a stint as a film composer, TV composer, programmer, engineer, keyboards, you know, in addition to being just this freak singer with this unbelievable, uh, you know, Steve Ricardo said, man, you, you sing like a trumpet. You sound like a trumpet when you sing. And uh, I think that really nailed it. Um, and more than anything, tireless dedication. Yeah. When do you want me here? What do you want me to do? Yeah. Anything I can help you with? Anything I can take home and comp together for you? Always, always ready to go. Yeah. Joe was my right-hand man, man. He, he was like my second engineer on this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. During the record, I was still in Logic 9. Logic 10 came out during the record. And Logic 10 is is absolutely stunning program. But there's no way I'm making the switch during in the middle of a total record. Right. I'm just... Uh, change my workflow. Yeah. So we'd go out to Dave's. Well, Dave had Logic 10. And uh, so all the sessions at Dave's, uh, Joe engineered. You know, oh, engineered. and I didn't realize about that about him. Oh, yeah. He, he did all the punching in, punching out, uh, comping. So that's when I really got to be a producer guy with my feet up going, no, yes, no, yes. Wait, Joe. That's cool. Yeah. And then his, his vocal shit. <laughs> You know, there was one song I said, you know, I think we got to redo all the backgrounds on the chorus. Everybody's like, what? I said, yeah, let's redo the backgrounds on. They're like, you're kidding. Why? I said, let's just do it, man. Come on. So I said, it's going to take less time than us talking about it. I think it took seven minutes to do 14 tracks of backgrounds. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and I said, guys, the, the, the chorus is 15 seconds long. Okay. So that's three passes a minute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the point is, Joe nails everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I was thinking. He's just nailing it. He's a session guy. You don't have to say, hey, your T's and S's are not together. And yeah. When you stack stuff the way we stack, there's stuff here that's got 32 tracks of backgrounds. And when you stack a bunch of S's that are off yeah. and a bunch of bad breaths Sounds in there, sloppy, yeah. It's, it's not good. Then you have to go in and manually position all that stuff. Uh, yeah, which I do all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with Joe, I don't have to do that. That's and cool. with Joe, you don't have the fear of, uh, you know, oh, is there any way we could redo it? No. Hey, let's redo the second verse. Okay. I'll give you six of them. Wow. Boom. Jeez. Amazing. 15 minutes later, it's like, where do we go for lunch? You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with these guys is like driving six Ferraris. Hey CJ, we, we just prior to the to the interview, we had uh, talked about a couple things about what it feels like, you know, uh, as an artist, as a producer, and with the guys, you know, launching this this record. But now that the, that the album has been released, and in the years of of Toto fans from all over the world, uh, tell us how you're feeling and how they're pretty much feeling about this amazing effort out there as uh, as it uh, rolls out. Kind of numb, actually. I don't really think about it. Um, mm-hmm. There was so much effort into making this that, uh, you know, first of all, I haven't been listening to it. Uh, last month, I haven't listened to it at all. 
you know, it, it, what summed it up was yesterday uh, at Mike's Memorial, I ran into Joe Percaro and this amazingly classy guy. Uh, nobody cooler than Joe. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, uh, hey, so the record's done. It came out today. And, you know, here's a guy that just buried his son that day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, yeah, I mean, it's a coincidental. It came out today. You know, the, the, I wanted to kind of skip past it. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, are you happy with it? And I thought, man, nobody's even really asked me that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they assume you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had to think. And I said, I'm ecstatic with the record. Yeah. So my thing is, you know, I've looked for some posts and see if people are digging it on Facebook. I got to say, you know, you, your curiosity gets the best of you. Sure. And it's mostly great great comments and then you see a bad one and you go ah, i don't want to read this all right <laughs> because i don't first of all i don't agree with most of the stuff i uh the bad stuff i read right um it's very little stuff anyway but it, it is amazing how you know a dozen a dozen great reviews and then you know one negative comment can can kind of make your stomach turn because <laughs> you yeah, put your because you put your heart and soul into it well especially when someone makes a comment about somebody in the band that's really bullshit to me yeah but uh i think more than what i'm trying to say is i know what i did yep and i know what we did what went into it yeah and i don't need anybody to fucking tell me what that is or isn't you know the timing we'll see how this lays with the fans and hopefully it touches people but you just can never create art with that in the back of your mind to me and christopher guest taught me that he doesn't read reviews he doesn't, he doesn't participate in any of that stuff. And yeah. I think he's right. Uh, I hope the fans love it. I think that the hardcore fans are going to just eat this record up. I believe so too. Yeah. And if they don't, uh, you know, then you shouldn't be a fan. Yeah. You know? Earlier in the conversation, uh, I'd ask you, in working with Toto, if you ever just stopped and pinched yourself and you said, yeah, all the time. And and then, you know, you said, you know, you were driving home every night with the hard drives, you know, next to you. And it's, you're thinking, you're reminding yourself, you know, I'm doing this Toto album and it may be their, their last. You know, do you think that Toto 14 is the band's swan song? Or do you feel that there's yet another chapter that will eventually be told? You know, I really don't have an answer to that. Yeah. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would say this. If this is their last record. Uh-huh. I think it's a, it would make a great last record. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Uh, will there be another one? Do I hope there's another one? Uh, who would vote against that? You right. know? Nobody. I, <laughs> exactly. I yeah. would die before that would happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, everybody gave so much on it. Uh, we're all exhausted. And, uh, you know, we've said our piece for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have anything else to say at this point. So to to think about, you know, strapping it on again after the, you know, multi-orgasm is, uh, <laughs> no, I'm smoking the cigarette now, man. I'm, uh, <laughs> You're chilling out. Yeah, so I can't really think about that, but uh, yeah. who, who knows? Yeah. I, I think what I would add to that is, is, you know, you got guys that have been friends since they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're going to go their separate ways. Yeah. They will always be dear friends. They're a family, yeah. I'll always be there. I mean, we're all family now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not going to change. Yeah. And I'm sure we will work together in different iterations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a little concept. I want to throw a Dave and Steve. Yeah. A little, little three keyboard thing. That'd be cool. 
we'll play, uh, do a little record with that. And uh, who knows? But uh, will that lead to another total record? Hope so. Yeah, yeah, we do too. We do too. Well, now for a special Inside Music Cast award section of the, the program. And I'm going to turn this over to, to Rick here. Yeah, we've been tallying up all the F-bombs and uh, compared it to Luke's and you win. You win, hands down. <laughs> Luke with the fuck? That's fucking awesome. <laughs> fucking Luke, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> you, you keep extending the record. I know, man. You're just pulling away. That's not, that's not even fair anymore. <laughs> yes. Uh, CJ, it's been good to have you on the show. Well, hey, 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 wait. What? What's the fucking award? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna have to come up with something. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll have to mail, man. We'll have to create something and send it to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should be a surprise. <laughs> I think I know what word's gonna be on it. So. Hey, what, one more quick question. Uh, now that this project's done and it's behind you, um, what's next? What's next on your plate? Uh, I'm doing a record with Skunk Baxter right now that we've oh, worked okay. on a couple of years. We've been piecing, you know, in our downtime, we've been piecing it together. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. Yesterday, I saw Mike McDonald at the uh, at uh, Mike Percaro's memorial. He closed the thing. And right. It, absolutely stunning. Ama- amazing grace. Yeah. Uh, it was just ridiculous. And uh, it was good to see Mike. We you know we got a little history together. And mm-hmm. I said, it's funny. I'm leaving here to go mix a song that we wrote and mike came in uh jeff brought him in on on the record we're doing jeff and i are doing and uh, we wrote a song called place in the sun that's uh, it's just stunning mm-hmm. so uh, uh mike mcdonald's on it uh we did a song with clint black oh cool. really wow. that's nice Clint black is a huge steely dan he's a closet steely dan fan which is not allowed where he lives but uh, <laughs> exactly right <laughs> uh so uh we brought Clinton and and did that with him. Uh, but Jeff and I are finishing up that record. Uh, I'm working on a documentary film right now. Uh, then I'm moving into the rest of the year is pretty much going to be uh, film and TV. I've got two TV pilots to do. I've got a film to score towards the fall, and then in December I'm uh, I'm putting together a project, uh, a little audio visual project that I'm. It's going to be kind of my solo thing. Oh, cool. I'm going to put a little band together. We're going to do some things around town and hopefully set up a thing for a spring tour next year. Well, might I suggest uh, the band that you're going to put together, Steve Lukather, David Page, Steve Percaro, and Joseph Williams. Yeah, really. That's simple. (laughs) If they're not doing nothing. For all of them. No problem. (laughs) Except for fucking Lukather. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When you say that, you're just saying you love them. That's all you're saying. Love him. Another mother, man. We're two weeks apart, and yeah. uh, you know, we're just complete brothers. Even when we want to scratch each other's eyes out, that's how much we love each yeah, other. There you go. He's just an amazing cat. Yeah. Nobody smarter, nobody funnier, mm-hmm. and there's no better musician walking planet Earth. So that's true. Well, CJ, thanks so much for your time. This Thank has been you. a great chat. It's been it's a lot of insight. Uh, listeners are going to dig this, and uh, we appreciate all your time. And I didn't even tell the story about the sheep and the twins. I guess next time. We'll next time. We'll, 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 yeah. Yeah. We'll have to do that next time, CJ. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That leaves with them. Hmm. Thanks so much, hey, CJ. Good questions, man. That was fun. All it was right. really fun. Thank you. Take care, man. Talk soon. Special thanks to CJ Vanston for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Unilund. 
for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>